0: the back page for bob podcast i will love it if we been there love it when the seagulls follow chora it's because they sink
1: sardines will be thrown into the sea. And do I say okey dok all the time? You do. I don't think you say it all the time. You say it about, say, 15 times in the programme.
0: Right? <laughs> People are telling us this is a great day for Irish football. It's not difficult to get Trappatoni if you're going to pay him that amount of money. I'll tell you, it's a great day for his accountants and his bankers.
1: I can't believe it. Football, by the hell. BBF. Welcome to this week's the Back podcast brought to you by back footballcom I'm joined as usual by Phil Green and Enda Higgins, and this week we're talking about the week that was for Irish football. How are you, lads? Good evening, lads. How are you doing?
2: How's it
1: going? And what a week it was. It felt like a month really with so much news and debate and COVID controversy intertwining. Three games that were rocked with COVID 19 absences, most dearly against Slovakia, with the removal of Aaron Connolly and Adam Ida. Due to where they were sitting on the plane over to the game, much to Bossman Steo's fury. A penalty shootout loss was devastating after a hell of a performance from the team, especially late on and deep into injury time, playing a pleasant brand of football that nearly reaped the awards and a goal scoring chance Conor Howerhan will be seeing in his nightmares for many years to come. Ahead of the Wales game, the camper rocked with more absentees due to COVID nineteen, but another decent performance left Ireland, rowing missed chances extending a goal drought that is going to provide the narrative for Stephen Kenny's early months in charge. A disappointing defeat to Finland on Wednesday night leaves Ireland in a precarious position in the Nations League and a cohort of Stephen Kenny doubters in a battle with optimists in support of the fresh brand of football that he is looking to install. Separating the mood coming out of Kenny's first five games in charge between results-driven pragmatists, and those willing to be patient and hope goals and results can be married with the better football we're beginning to see. Plenty of negatives to unpack over the past week, but a few sprinkles of positivity as well, mainly in the style of football that we've seen and some of the youth coming into the side. Phil, we'll start with you. What have you taken away from the past week as a whole?
0: Yeah, it's, it's been, like you said, it's only been a week like Nearly exactly a week since we all we all heard that uh, Connolly and Anita were out of the squad uh, for the Slovakia game, and that feels like a lot longer ago than seven days. But here we are at the other end with no wins and um, no goals to show for it. Um, like, like you said, there's so much to be positive about, and there's so many people who want to take positivity from it. So, like, I personally speaking. Haven't been as invested in Nations League games. I know this is only the second iteration, but like they're glorified friendlies. But I actually felt really disappointed last night mm-hmm. that they lost because I just want this to work so well, so much. And there has absolutely been positive signs. They've passed the ball better than I've ever seen, and more with more intent than I've ever seen from an Irish team. And um, and I think it also has to be remembered that he hasn't had his first choice eleven at any stage in any of his games and um, so like even if you look at just from a purely uh, from three point of view David McGoldrick missed his first Stephen Kenny's first two games the last window obviously Aaron Connolly missed the game on Thursday last week and then David McGoldrick was back out so he hasn't actually had a full deck to pick from yet I know that's kind of going to be a reality of COVID but at the minute I don't see any reason why anyone who wants Ireland to be successful as a team can't be positive about the direction of travel
2: Yeah, like I'd agree with Phil in the point that, you know, I think wanting Stephen Kenny to work is is something that we're all all kind of heavily invested in, particularly because of his success in the League of Ireland and then with the under-21s. But I think the last four games in particular, right, Bulgaria was a bit of a struggle at the start, but he'd only had about two or three days with the squad at that stage. Um, Everything since then has been extremely positive. And, you know, if any of those three or four really good chances go in against Slovakia, we go, oh, I think we're having a very different conversation here. And there's a different feel about the whole team. You know, we've had to watch a lot of turgid Irish football in the last kind of 10 to 15 years, even though they you know, qualified for a major tournament back in 2012 and came close in 2010. But ultimately, the style of football they were playing in the last kind of five to 10 years hasn't really been what we were hoping for. And all of a sudden you see them, you know, passing out from the back. Darren Randolph had a 100% pass success rate against Wales, for example, which was insane when you think about it. Uh, you know, I thought the fullbacks, they're starting to look like themselves in terms of how they play in the Premiership, whereas I felt that Stevens and Doherty in the past for Ireland haven't looked anywhere near as comfortable as they have been before because they're asked to play completely different roles. Whereas if you look at them now, that whole back five in in particular, look really, really strong and confident. And obviously, they're playing the ball into midfield. And all the midfielders are trying to do the right thing. But then things sort of break down a little bit. But like uh, Phil said, I think, you know, once he nails down his first choice midfield and from mm. three slash from four, I think we'll see a really confident and free-flowing <laughs> Ireland team. It's it's just a bit of a struggle at the moment. But, you know, like David McGolder's hold-up play against Slovakia was the best you'll see for a, an Irish number nine, you know, the, the touches and the layoffs. All right, he's never going to be the most consistent goal scorer you'll have. But if they can get Ida, Conley, hopefully Shawnee Maguire, who I hope settles into the first level as well going forward and coming through as well, obviously Obafemia, I think will have a big role to play in the next three or four years. I think we'll see a very exciting Ireland team. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's tough because you want to be positive as possible, but then you have to accept that results are important as well. And we'll get on to kind of the doubters later on. But I think that the style they're trying to implement is everything we hoped that Stephen Kenny would bring to the team. Um, and the players really seem to be implementing that very quickly. Um, so it's just, it's just a shame that none of those chances went in against Slovakia because if he'd gotten through that match, it would have taken a lot of the pressure off him and the players who are trying to implement his style.
1: Yeah, I think if you look back to Bulgaria and Finland back in um, September, the marked improvement <laughs> since then has been pretty astonishing when you consider like how bad they looked, especially defensively uh, in those first couple of games. Um, And to take your point there, uh, and Phil as well, that we haven't seen um, our first choice starting like especially Connolly and McGoldrick together. I think if we can get those two together on the field at the same time and then A.N. other than on the right-hand side. Connolly spoke quite well after the game last night about um, about his decision-making. I think if you have a character like McGoldrick, was able to tie everything together in the front line, I think he'll work better with a Connolly than, um, than anyone else we have at the moment in, in that position. Um, another thing as well, I mean, the sequence of games, uh, I think ideally we probably would have preferred to start with the Nations League games and kind of walk our way into Slovakia. But I think if you had played Slovakia, Wales, Finland, in that order, in any other era in Irish football, I mean, there's no way statistically we would have performed as well as we did, especially against Slovakia, to play on the front foot, to, to create the most chances. Um, you know, and in a way, playoff game, when generally we see Ireland playing their best football, either when they're behind or when they're up against the wall and they need a result at the very last second. Like There's no way they would have gone into a Slovakia game away from home under any of the previous managers, I think, and would have played the way they did. And I think that's kind of testament to how Kenny has been brave so far with, with his selections, with his including some of the, the younger players, um, and how he wants to play. And I mean, if it wasn't for COVID, I mean, ifs and buts and all that, but you'd like to think if Connolly had been in the Slovakia game, would he have made a difference? And would, if the likes of McGoldrick, et cetera, have been in the Wales game, would they have made a difference against Wales? So it's I, I, I'm ever the optimist. Um, I think when you look at Bulgaria and Finland back in September and the progression um, to where we are at the moment and the football that we played. And I know Finland, uh, the Finland game on Wednesday night probably took a little bit of a a hit uh, in terms of performance, but I think considering what they've been through um, over the past week with so much going on with COVID and everything else, um, it's kind of understandable. I mean, they have two big games now in November with Wales and Bulgaria. I think if they can take that next step in terms of um, improving every time um, and we've seen the defense improve from the first camp to now. I think if we just need to score, <laughs> the goal scoring to change from uh, from this camp to the next. And you'd like to think that when one goes in, that kind of will break the um, the the duck that they're going through.
0: I mean, like you talk about um, looking for one to go in, and us haven't been unlucky. Yet, but I, I don't know if if you saw the XG was knocking around on Twitter today from three games from. Uh, at Bielsa ball to, to give them the credit but um, I can't remember the last time Ireland would have won three games on the trot in XG terms now they didn't win any of them on the actual pitch but you know even still like they got 1.74 XG against Slovakia to Slovakia's 0.81 1.74 on its own means you're quite unlucky not to have gotten one goal one goal would have won the game and um, Wales well, like all of them kind of they, they kind of make sense of the eye test so like Slovakia we created loads of chances the Wales game, maybe slightly less so. And then against Finland, we created chances, but we'll probably gave up a few as well. The, the XG is bearing it out, but it just is another layer on the idea that it, this thing is moving in the right direction, you know, and in, in a way that we probably haven't seen for a while. Like to go away in a playoff game, in a manager's third game managing the country as well. Uh, and kind of to, to put in the performance we did, and like the the underlying stats bear the fact that we were probably a bit unlucky there. And like you said, if they keep performing to that level, I mean, I'm not saying we're going to win three and four every game, but if we can just break the duck a little bit, you'd hope that um you'd hope things keep moving in that direction.
2: Yeah, the Wales one is probably the only one you'd look at and think, you know, I think one shot on target in eight or nine attempts. But there was such a come down after Slovakia, you know, so I can't really blame the team too much after that one. Um, But as you say, to go away uh, to Slovakia in a game like that and play as well and as confidently as they did, you know, it's something that we wouldn't have expected in the last few years. Um, So, you know, you mentioned Kevin a few minutes ago about, you know, the goals will come. I think that will be the biggest challenge. Yeah. Obviously, Kenny seems to favor Ida at the moment. Um, and when you look at his record for him under the under twenty ones, that makes sense. But I suppose my only slight criticism might have been the uh, exclusion of Femi in his initial, initial squads. I just think he's somebody who probably could just be slightly better finisher in the long term over Ida. And he has a few goals under his belt in the Premier League as well. So that would have been my only surprise in his initial squads. Um, but again, it, it's a minor criticism. We don't really have anyone prolific since Robbie Keane, and, and it, it'll be a tough one going forward. Because I mean, even coming through, you know, Obafemi and Ida are you know quite similar in terms of they're more of these kind of wide forwards rather than your traditional number nines. And then our best number nine is McGoldrick at the moment, who isn't prolific either. And, and even in the in the youth teams, like I mean, United just um, have lost Sotana, who has gone to Nice now. He was coming through as well. Uh, for United's under-19s. who was very highly rated, but again, he's another one of these kind of wide forwards as opposed to a a traditional number nine, but hopefully we see more of him with the under-21s in the next few years. So, finding that right profile of striker, again, you talk about Shawnee Maguire, they're all very similar Horgan, they're more wingers. So, I I think it will be a challenge, so it'll be interesting to see um, if he can find somebody to be a prolific goal scorer because I think that will be a bit of a struggle for us going forward, and I think we'll have a lot more games where we have you know high XG but low kind of output. Um, but again, as long as we're still playing the right way and creating the amount of chances we are, you have to think we'll have we'll improve um, our goal output sooner rather than later.
1: One thing that kind of was a bone of contention. Um, after the first couple of games was our defence. And in fairness, aside from a very dodgy Darren Randolph decision uh, and that goal conceded against Finland, they've been pretty spot on um, over the past week. And all of a sudden, defensively, they look very, very solid. There's no um, real hiccups in terms of bringing the ball out of the defence. Matt Doherty looked better than he normally did um, at right back against Slovakia and slotted in fairly seamlessly at centre-back against Wales. Um, and all of a sudden, defensively, oh. with Daryl Shea thrown into the mix now as well as um, as Kevin Long, and you have John Egan to come back alongside Shane Duffy. If he can continue that kind of steel hearted defence that we're so used to, in addition to playing a little bit better football, that gives us a, a very strong, strong platform to, to build on.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> I mean, we have depth there as well. I mean, like Daryl, you know, he was playing in his, his 20th 30th game, you know, and it didn't look like didn't look like his first cap at all. And like James Combs coming back, um, and the one area you might be slightly worried about is a bit of depth, depth full, but Stevens is so steady there, you're not worried about it. I think something that's helped us. Um, in, in in this camp is the move to a very obvious two defensive midfielders or two holding midfielders uh, and one advance as opposed to the the three kind of flatter that we saw in the, in the first couple of games because it's given us that shield a little bit that's that picked up pockets of space that were very evident in the first game that exposed the weakness of our center mm-hmm. half because neither number the quickest and when that pocket of space opens up and a ten can play balls either side we're in a bit of bother but with two two with a double pivot two sixes if you will it kind of it gives the guys a bit more mm. certainty that they're not as exposed so i think collectively between those two and the, the back four or five it's been it's been a really strong week um and absolutely it gives us a great platform especially when we are a little bit goal shy
2: to know that we're not going to cop up too many
1: yeah i mean if you
2: look at the back five really of you know choosing between Egan, O'Shea, Duffy, Coleman, Doherty, Stevens, and Randolph. I mean, that's a back five that doesn't look out of place in any Premier League team, you know. So that's huge depth for us to have there. Um, In particular, Darren Randolph, I think he's been fantastic for Ireland in the last few years. And he was excellent again against Slovakia. Um, And hopefully still has a few years left in him at at 33. But uh, across that back four, then we, we do have big depth. Um, particularly at centre back now, and with the right backs. And I said, you know, Stevens and Doherty, they're not traditional, yeah, full backs in a back four. Um, but I do think they're starting to look a lot more comfortable. Obviously, we'll we'll hope to see Dardy improve now playing with a back four for Spurs as well. And Stevens has always looked pretty good for Ireland, but I think even he's looking better than he used to. So I think it's it's a really solid platform to build on because we were very, very open in the last few years um, and really had to play with eight or nine behind the ball in order to stop conceding. So I think the solid base we have now is giving a lot more confidence to the, the midfielders to pass the ball forward um, and hopefully it continues.
1: In terms of the midfield, then um, I suppose another kind of takeaway from the first couple of games was the performances of a couple of the players, Um I suppose James McCarty coming under a little bit of criticism, didn't seem hugely comfortable in that kind of number six role that he'd been put in. And I mean, at the at the time, I think I made the point that, you know, get a couple of Premier League 90 minutes into him and he should come good. And in fairness, I thought against Slovakia he was excellent and kind of showed the signs of a player that, you know, has a couple of years left in him in terms of starting for Ireland in the, in the midfield. Um And then, Jason Malumbi comes in against Wales and looked very, very good. Um, I thought he was excellent uh, for the first 60 or 70 minutes and looked every bit the player that we kind of had hoped and expected him to be. Um, and I know kind of hearing from a couple of Brighton fans uh, online, you know, they're super excited with him as well and they're kind of hoping that he's going to come in uh, and, and reinvigorate, and reinvigorate um, their midfield in the Premier League, which kind of shows how highly he's rated... Um, Haurin I felt kind of came in went in the Slovakia game his missed chance was massive obviously and he'd have a hugely different narrative obviously if he had scored it but again put in a fantastic shift over the next couple of games um, I suppose like you said Phil moving to that two man midfield probably helps solidify things again um, and we'll get on to Jeff Hendrick in a few minutes but in terms of the base two that we have and those three or four couple of players and you Josh Cullen to come into the mix as well um, he only played a couple of minutes against Wales I think um, has very little football under his belt at West Ham and he had the COVID issue as well and you'd like to think he's going to make a little bit of an impact against Anderlecht and kind of come into the conversation as well but that midfield option again also looking very strong going forward
0: Yeah absolutely and it's probably an area that you, not that you would have been worried about over the past kind of five years but you wouldn't have thought we were blessed with loads of options and you would have thought that a lot of them were quite samey but I suppose part of it shows the, what I, what a shift in emphasis of coaching can do but also because broadly over the last five years like you talked about Malumbi, he's in a Brighton now in a team who traditionally would be kind of a a, a, a hit and hope, a kick and hope merchant of a team in like a bottom half Premier League team, but now they're playing really progressive football. So if and when Malumbi does break into that team, <clears throat> he's actually going to play that style every week. So I think generally, through a mix of new players coming through and probably reskilling and upskilling of existing talent, we now all of a sudden do have a nice bit of debt and. Like you said, when we're playing two there, it probably makes it a little bit easier or at least two more withdrawn players rather than having to find a mix of three that we mightn't actually have because I don't think we have a traditional kind of six who'd be comfortable at covering the breadth of stuff that you'd have to in a team like this and then maybe kind of an eight or an eight to ten sort of thing. I don't know if we if we have a traditional three-man midfield like that, but if we stick to the two, um, I think we've loads of options. And then I know we're going to talk about them later, but you've got people... In the 21s, well, Jason Knight got called up this time, but he's got a small bond and different people like that as well who are just giving you loads of different options. So while you're probably waiting for these guys to absolutely stamp themselves in club football, the prospect and the possibility
2: of them adding depth to the squad is definitely there. Yeah, I think Malumbi in particular deserves a lot of credit for his loan spell at Millwall last season. I mean, he became a very important player for them and so much so that that's the reason why Brighton didn't loan him out again this year. They feel that he's somebody who really could, you know, help their squad going forward in the Premier League. And as Phil said, I mean, the style of football that they're playing this season can only help them. I mean, they've really played some good stuff. Um, and then, obviously, James McCarthy is a tricky one because I think he has all the attributes that Ireland need from a midfielder. But just his fitness and form always seems to be, you know, borderline struggling. Um, and that And that's a shame. I mean, he's still only 29, which is... Seems insane because he's been around for so long. So hopefully he still has a lot to offer. But again, still struggling with injuries and can't get a decent run in the Premier League at the moment. Um I, I do think we'll see Ireland play more of a 4-3-3 Wales more of a four two three one. But if you look at the way they'll try and set up, I, I think that, you know, even though with the improvements in the back four, because they don't have, you know, Traditional defensive midfielder, I still think they'll go for the three in midfield. Um, And we don't have a number 10 either, really, to play with the 4 2 3 1 that we'd need for that position. So I think we'll go for McGoldrick and two wingers either side of him. Um, But I think the midfield is is definitely improving as well, even the way they're trying to play. And I know we'll get on to Jeff Hendrick, but he does try and play the right way for Ireland. It just seems he tries too hard, if you like. Um, We saw how well he played for Burnley in particular in the Premier League. Um, but when it comes to Ireland, I just felt he's always struggled to, um, you know, put that style into
1: place. Mm. I mean, on Hendrik, and I could probably be an accused of being overly critical of him in terms of his performance over the past couple of games, but I actually thought at the same time it was probably his best run of performances ever in an Ireland shirt. And that kind of goes to show where we are with him and he's playing in that number 10 role and I just felt you know we're kind of robbing Peter to pay Paul in a way in that the pressing statistics were very impressive nearly unheard of uh, in an Irish team before and the shift that he puts in can't be questioned but having a player of his ability um, in such an advanced role with so much football going through him, I just felt really slowed everything down and uh, led to a lot of kind of unforced errors uh, in terms of build-up play. And, I mean, I can see why Kenny favoured him as, uh, over, you know, Jack Byrne is the popular one to mention, but, like, Byrne is never going to put in the, the amount of pressing that, that Hendrick did over the fir- over those couple of games. But, at the same time, if you're going to persist with the 4 like you said, and the having a player of his caliber, and I've no doubt like if if, if a clear-cut chance fell to him uh, at the edge of the box, he's probably one of the, the first players you'd want to hit it. But when he's the one on the receiving end of the ball and having to turn and string things together, I just feel that's where we probably need some improvement. Um, but then, at the other hand, if you take Hendrik out of the team, is he going to fit into the into that base too that we have and, and replace one of the names there? Um, so, uh, do you put him out wide? Do you put him out on the right and 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 let him press from there? So it's kind of a tricky tricky one to be in. But I, I just I just felt very frustrated with him. But at the same time, I was like he's doing really really well with what he's been asked to do. And I suppose you can't expect more from a guy of his of his talent. Like you're not going to expect him to to receive the ball and and pick out. 10 20 yard perfect passes every time. Yeah. yeah. I think, sorry, uh,
2: sorry, go ahead. Go, ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. Yeah, I just feel that you know if we're trying to implement the style that Kenny wants to implement, that I just don't think you can have a midfielder breaking down attacks as often as as Hendrick does, unfortunately. Um and that that's a real shame. I mean, obviously, Jack Byrne is already starting to become one of these, you know, most mythical figures in Irish football that we always seem to have, whether it's Andy Reid or Stephen MacPhail or Wes Houlihan in recent years. Um, but I do think he has the type of game that, you know, progressive looking forward, very good touch. And, you know, is that number 10 in front of the six or the eight that we'd be looking for. So I think that Hendrick, you know, as you said, his pressing was very good. He'll always put a shift in. but. We're trying to move away from players who put a shift in and ultimately players who are technically good enough to move Ireland forward in the right direction. Um, if you look at the players coming through and going 21, they're all very technically gifted. Mm-hmm. They play kind of the way you would hope a Stephen Kenny team would play. And from what we've seen in the last three or four games, he is going to implement that at a senior level. So I just think Hendrick could end up being the odd man out. Obviously, he'll be a good guy to have around the squad. But I think in the starting 11, I just don't think he he'll be consistent enough for the type of game, the type of possession football that we're trying to play. Yeah, uh,
0: like uh, I, I, I agree with everything broadly has been said so far. I think you hit the nail on the head, Kev, when you said he doesn't really fit into that two that that Kenny played this, this time around. He's actually one of our midfield options who probably works best in kind of a more in a flatter kind of three. Mm. Like, he, he, he's kind of a shuttling player in the middle kind of ticking things over and keeping things quite simple, kind of a a more reductive Jordan Henderson without the passing range maybe, Um, but I think at a 10, like like you've been saying, he just slows down too much Um, I think for me, somebody who could fit into that 10 quite easily could be Robbie Brady, I I don't see him uh, working out wide as well in Kenny's system, I think if you're going to have somebody, especially with McGoldrick up top who isn't a focal point he drops deep I think you're going to need more direct threat from out wide so Conley obviously brings that and Horgan uh, obviously Horgan not as good a player as Aaron but Wales and I thought he was direct uh, last night as well but I thought when Brady came on while well, he does drift in and let Doherty up the right I just thought that he wasn't direct enough to play out wide so maybe as that kind of advanced midfielder or a 10 he has the technical capabilities uh, he should put in the work, and um, I think he might be a better fit in this shorter mm. term than Hendrik. And um, yeah, it's it, it's a, it's a tricky one because we we probably don't have an exact fix, but the two sixes fix more problems defensively. So it, it might be kind of a bit of horse mm. for course, and like Andy said, you could see the four 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 three three rather returning a bit more, and um, rather than the kind of four two one three that it was um, against Slovakia, yeah, but. And um, yeah, for Hendrik, I, I don't know in the system we played in this break, if he's as suited as he is in a more traditional
2: three-off shot Yeah, I'd agree that Brady as the 10 could be an option. I, I suppose the, the big concern about Brady is he hasn't played 20 games in a season at yeah. club level since 2016, I think it is. So, yeah. you know, I feel like Kenny is going to be one of those managers who, who doesn't want players playing consistently week in, week out. Um, in order to be ready for the type of game he's trying to implement. You know, we, we have favorite player to, players in the past not really looking at their league form and their appearances. And I just feel we're going to move away from that. Um, so, again, it, it goes back to, you know, fitness and form, um, similar to James McCarthy, obviously. Um, so that would be my concern for Brady. But he would look like the most natural player, probably in that 10 position as well. Um, but I, I, I think we're probably going to see more
1: of a 4-3-3. I suppose if you're looking at that number 10 role, there's a couple of applicants really at the moment, especially in the under-21s. Um, I know Will Smallman played out wide against Italy the other night, but he seems a fairly comfortable player to play that position and has the kind of work ethic to, to put himself about. Jason Knight, um, I don't know if he's played much in the 10 role for Derby. Um, I know he's quite attacking, he's very offensive um, in terms of his statistics. Whether he can put in that, sort of, uh, fill into that sort of role, I don't know. Um, We have to mention Jack Byrne, and I mean, like you said, he's kind of fallen into that Wes Houlihan category of the the clamour is there for him, but he might necessarily ever get a chance. And I think, I mean, if we had um, Wes Houlihan in his prime right now, I think... there's your perfect player for this type of role but he was incredibly um, unlucky with the Covid situation I I, I like to think he would have played against Finland the the James McLean red card against Wales I think kind of kiboshed any chance of him coming on there. Phil was this a chance or do you still think he has any hope of winning people over and and getting that chance uh, to see what he can do?
0: I think he definitely has a chance. Um, like I suppose we have to remember, like the game against Slovakia was a really abnormal situation for a manager in his third game to be running into. It was a really important game for the team, for the FAI. It was a chance to progress towards qualification for a major tournament. I don't, no, I, don't, I don't think I would have put Jack Byrne into that situation. I know he has all the creative qualities uh, that you want. I, I don't think it's reasonable. It's not a pick for for Slovakia, and like you said. he he went down with with, with COVID which is desperately unfortunate and when he probably would have featured Um, so I think (laughs) as we move into this phase now where the qualification isn't on the agenda for a little while the World Cup qualification will obviously start up whenever it gets going but I think when we move into this next phase now with the Nations League games that's when I think it's natural to give him time Um, and maybe he's he's trying a few things out Um, and I get why people are clamouring for him to play and listen he is a great player but if you're talking about players who are playing week in, week out, he is doing so. But you also have to take into consideration the level that has been done at. Yeah. And it's not a non League of Ireland. It just is like if you've got people who are playing their, play, playing their trade in Premier League and Championship level, I think it's reasonable to, to give them a shot, as well as Jack Byrne. But I don't know how hard he's been treated yet. If he doesn't get game time in the next window, then maybe start to worry.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's a tricky one. I mean,. <sighs> There is this thing in Ireland that when somebody goes over to England young and doesn't exactly light it up and ends up back in the League of Ireland, no matter how well they're playing, it is a bit kind of, yeah, (laughs) you know. Yeah, whatever. So it's a tricky one. He didn't really play much in England for uh, Wigan. He had a good spell at at Oldham on loan um, and then rarely got game time at Kilmarnock. But technically, he is, for me, the standout player in the League of Ireland. So. Um, even though he's not playing against the highest quality week in, week out, I still would like him to, to get a decent run at some point, just to see if he was good enough. Um, but whether he will or not, it remains to be seen. Um, but yeah, he was very unlucky with the COVID situation.
1: And uh, it wouldn't be um, a Stephen Kinney game for Ireland without the uh, dulcet tones of Mick McCarthy to, uh, to illustrate it for everyone. um I've seen a little bit of backlash from people critical of him uh, on Twitter. And I think second captains brought it up at some point as well in that, you know, if you actually listen to what he's saying, it's generally fair enough, but I think he could be saying anything. And the fact that it's coming from Mick McCarthy would just kind of great me at this stage. Um, he, it's, it's been a weird one. And uh, like, uh, he surely has to be under some weird contractual obligation In my opinion, with Sky Sports, the fact that he has to sit through these Irish games. Um, I mean, when the decision was made, Sky probably thought it'd be a good idea to get the ex-manager in for that little bit of insight. But I don't think uh, you're going to get much insight from uh, Mick McCarthy talking about Darren Randolph against Gibraltar every every other week.
2: Yeah, we have this very weird situation where we've two people commenting on... Stephen Kenny. One is Noel King, who's writing articles and doing interviews, and Kenny replaced him for the under-21s back in 2018. And now we've had Mick McCarthy commentate, I think, in three games in a row now. I could be wrong, but that's what it felt like, anyways, for for uh, Sky Sports. And, of course, Kenny has replaced him at senior level. So, basically, you have the two guys who got moved out for Stephen Kenny now, given their opinion on Stephen Kenny, which is just bizarre. Usually, Sky Sports go the pundit route, as we've seen with kind of Mourinho and Saussure and and, you know, different examples of in the past where, you know, they're in the studio commenting, and you kind of get that, but to actually be the co-commentator on a match, Mm -hmm. and in fairness, he's pretty positive overall, but then the the little digs come in, I think at one point the other night, he said, well, I know you have to win games as an Ireland manager, you know, considering we only won three games in the group, (laughs) a couple against Gibraltar, you know, it was a bit kind of, it was a bit too much for me now, and none of us were in great mood after, you know, seeing a tough week for Ireland, and both of our clubs getting battered there a couple of weeks ago in the Premier League, to be really listening to Mick McCarthy give jibes as well, so it, it, it pushed me over the edge for sure but um, <laughs> I really think it, it it's counterproductive really um, as an Ireland fan um, you know, he's not the most insightful co-commentator anyways at the best of times um, compared to who they usually have, and now Ray Houghton or Ronnie Whelan they don't really light it up as well, but they're quite pragmatic and they state the obvious and they do the job that you want from your co-commentator. Whereas with Mick McCarthy was felt the, the situation with him and Stephen Kenny was extremely awkward. Anyways, even the, the interviews when they were unveiled, they were both kind of saying, well, this is the situation it is rather than saying, well, we've come to pure agreement that this is the way it should be. You know, yeah. So it, it was always a very testy relationship I felt. And then to have them on Sky Sports actually commentating on the team that he's basically handed over to Stephen Kenny. It's, it wouldn't be for me now. Um, and I'm not sure he's ever been co-commentator on Sky Sports before anyway. So I do think it's Sky kind of just trying to see how it goes. And uh, they are trying to become a bit more controversial um, these days anyways, just to, to drum up a bit more uh, interaction online, the talk sport approach, as you'd call it. Uh-huh. Um, but I think anybody at this stage trying to find flaws and what Stephen Kenny is trying to do um, really it just has a personal grudge against the guy because I think uh, anybody impartial from what I've seen has has been able to acknowledge that there's been a huge shift in the approach uh, of Ireland's play, the way they're trying to play the game, their setup. Um, Yes, it's a bit more open at times, but ultimately going to Slovakia in the conditions that we had, with the challenges that we had, I don't think any other Ireland team in the past kind of decade would have played as well as they did. Um, and whatever happens in the Wales and Finland game in next month I think Kenny has bought himself an awful lot of time um, to really implement what he's trying to do and he knows the under 21's coming through so well as well that you know he needs at least a couple of years to implement um, before being really harshly judged and that might seem cruel considering we were so tough on obviously O'Neill and McCarthy for the last few years but You know, their styles were completely different to what Ireland are trying to do now. Um, We're taking a far more modern approach, which is the correct approach, um, considering the talent we have coming through, both through England and League of Ireland. I think League of Ireland technically has improved a lot in the last few years, even though it doesn't get as much credit as it should. Um, So I absolutely think he's the right man for the job, and anybody finding flaws in what he's trying to do at the moment um, can just get lost for now, I'm afraid. Like presumably, McCarthy is doing this gig, right,
0: partially because Sky are paying him, but also to put himself, this kind of traditional thing, put himself back into the shop window for yeah. kind of mid-table championship teams, right? But all he's doing in these quite dull Ireland games, the Nations League games are the two that Sky had, and they pretty much weren't that eventful, despite <laughs> the fact they played nicely, right? They were pretty dull. So he has loads of time to talk. And unfortunately, he's exposing his limitations dreadfully. So, first of all, like it's a, it's a funny little throwaway, right? But they somehow got talking about a two thousand and five uh, FA or Youth Cup final, right? And uh, the, the commentator said Gareth uh, Bale was on the bench for Spurs that day, and Mick goes, "Oh, he hasn't spent much time there since, has he?" Sincerely. Like, not joking, but like the most famous quasi-retired semi-pro golfer in football <laughs> who spent five years on the bench at Real Madrid uh, hasn't spent much. Like, it's like make his living in 2012 mm. and he hasn't shifted a bit. And then also the idea that, so like he loved, loved, loved talking about how important and how good it was that Ireland were stout at the back because they didn't create many chances. And he said, if you don't have goals in the team, you've got to keep it tight and hope for a bit of magic surely a team that doesn't have many goals and not many star players can't actually rely on Magic like it's not like we've got one world class player that we can rely on like an absence of Magic is kind of our problem we need a plan and a system but Mick exposed himself there as very obviously just being uh, like clinging on for dear life and like hoping against all hope like he's exposed himself I think more in these games because they've been not that exciting. He's had time to talk and he can't have impressed anyone who was listening. Aside from however many snide digs you get in at Stephen Kenny, I think we've seen why we performed like we did in the group with him because he took this arch practice, actually, ended up being not all that realistic or
2: pragmatic approach. Yeah, it's an interesting one because like, he doesn't actually need to put himself in the shop window. I mean, his six years at Ipswich with very limited resources were, you know, very successful, really, by championship terms, you know. And I think you're spot on there by saying, you know, the more he talks, the kind of <laughs> the less brain cells we all have at the end of it. you know. <laughs> um, so, like you said, just the, some of the stuff he comes out with is, is you know, it's like a, a granddad version of Jamie Redknapp, basically. and. It, None of us are really none the wiser after it, so it's just from a viewing experience, it, it doesn't really add any value to it, and I don't think it's done him any favors, really, or Sky in the long run. Um, so hopefully, it's the end of that experiment going forward, because um, it's really it's it's not done anyone any good.
1: Yeah, I mean, I hope Sky reevaluates the situation for the next round of games, because I think at this point, um, and I doubt. Um, nation leagues games are high in their priority, but if they've even listened to Twitter or, or seen any of the mentions, I think they know that uh, they have to change it up because just the frustration of listening to him. And I mean, the, the it, when he when he praises certain elements of play, like you know, long balls or crosses into the box that kind of lead to nothing. The, the silence is deafening. Then when Ireland start to kind of tread passes together, and make good moves even if they come with nothing like you could say that, you know they're trying something different isn't is what we usually see um, for the Republic and you know that's very very obvious for anyone listening um, considering what we've been through over the past couple of years with some of the managers
2: yeah um, it reminds me a bit of actually when um, Niall Quinn for some reason ended up as co-commentator for a lot of Man City games around 2012 I think it was towards that title run-in when they won the league and it was just a disaster every single week, you know, and thankfully they, they kicked that idea to touch. So I wouldn't be too surprised if the mm. same thing happened with McCarthy going forward. I think you're I right. I okay. idea
1: actually, yeah.
0: I don't know how, um, how high up on their list of priorities are Irish Nations no. League games are. They fill bad in the studio, like Phil, like they, they, David Myler yesterday, which was an improvement because at least he's like engaged his, his brain. is <laughs> trying to be critical and like, or in like in a good way, like, um, he's trying to be kind of constructive I mean um, but like Phil Babb is like a B team soccer Saturday or a C team soccer Saturday s- stand-in who's like even worse than say what you see mm-hmm. like he, he was dreadful I think was it the first Finnish game or the Bulgarian game <laughs> they they didn't even give us our own studio and um, Phil Babb game with James Collins <laughs> uh, splitting split the time with the Welsh game I mean they're, um, they're not pumping big no. budgets into it I don't think we can expect Gary Neville anytime
2: soon. No, the days of uh, Paul Dempsey hosting Ireland games with a high-quality studio lineup and, you know, uh, the Aviva Stadium behind them, I think that feels like it's over for Sky, you know, and Ireland are just a bit of an afterthought. Um, But still, if if they were to push McCarthy aside, I don't think anybody would be too disappointed.
1: On the topic of pundits, um, it was actually... The first real change overall of, of RTE, where we saw um, Kevin Doyle and Richie Sellier in the studio and Stephen Killey on commentary, um, complete difference from what we're used to, you know, with Dunphy, Giles, and Brady. Like they've all kind of been put out to pasture now. And even on commentary, there was no, I think it was Ray Houghton, usually does it, maybe um, um, Kevin Sheehan or Roddy Whelan <laughs> is thrown in there as well. So, um, Kind of RTE are going completely change of tack there with uh, with who they're calling up. And I think, like, we all know how good Sadier is, but I think Doyle is very um, underrated there as well. Uh, it tells it like it is. Um, kind of very refreshing, I suppose, from, from RTE's point of view. Um, Phil, we both watched the under 21s against Italy. I suppose on the run up to the game, Italy had a lot of covered problems themselves. There was. Uh, a cohort of the under twenty ones brought in, so we were kind of was quietly optimistic that we might get a result. Um, and I suppose the players that the senior team I could take from the under twenty ones probably took their toll on the under twenties or on the under twenty ones for Ireland as well. Um, anything stand out to you there um, on that performance? Um, to me, now, I thought probably wasn't as kind of free flowing as we would have seen. Uh, on, for under Stephen Kenny against the likes of Sweden, um, especially in kind of in those attacking transitions, but um, I thought overall pretty okay. I mean, what do you expect? Especially, it's a great group of players, but you took a lot of talent out over the week.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's the key point, and that was what, what what struck me and what I took away was how different this team is from the start of the campaign with a different manager and with a handful of those players. Had been called up to the senior squad, and then a couple more that were missing through injuries like that. And um, like it, it was to, to be able to pull out a team like we did, with everything that had gone on—senior call-ups and injuries and COVID and everything—spoke really well of, of what a talented couple of age groups we have. Um, but I, I think you're right, I mean, like uh, like you, when I saw Italy were playing in the 20s, I thought, oh, there might be a chance here. But when you see the 21s that stayed in, I mean, Tonali, who's at AC Milan, Cotrone, you see these people, you see, you, like, the sharp end of the team was yeah. still really strong. And, like, if Ireland had managed to get into half time at all, you never know how it went. The goal that came from Italy, and they, they'd gotten in down um, our right, their left a couple of times for decent chances... And there's nothing wrong with the Irish defence for the first Italian goal. It was just a great finish. But when you see something like that happen, you kind of just have to cop for it and say, listen, that that's a bit of quality. And um, if you'd have told me at the start of the campaign we were going to be going to Italy and hopeful of getting something, and while in the games not looking outplayed by any stretch of the imagination, I mean broadly you have to be happy with that because of where we historically been with the 21s with with the Friend, Noel King. and. Um, like, what what you're looking at now is two games left for Ireland. It's a bit messy because some of the other contenders in the group had a game called off because of the COVID suspension. So there's three games for some people, two games for Ireland. But if Ireland win their two games, they're going to come second, no matter what else happens. Um, and next up in November is Iceland and Dublin. Uh, they It was actually, they got beaten, Ireland got beaten by Iceland in Reykjavik uh, under Stephen Kenny. It looked like at the time it might be slightly damaging, Hopefully now, if they can just take it to Dublin and get as full a deck as possible, Dara O'Shea should be back, Jason Knight should be back, and um, you never know your luck. I mean, will Troy Parrott be in the senior squad? Will they let him stay in the 21s? Because it's actually quite a big game, who knows? And um, and will probably be back in the 21s as well, uh, even though Pizuna did do well. Um, so, all steam ahead, full steam ahead for November when you play Iceland and Dublin, and you leave it to an away trip to Luxembourg, who they should be able to handle. It looks really good. Um, so uh, it's nice to be enthusiastically seeking out an under twenty yeah. one Ireland game. When before you're kind of like, I'll look at the result, but we uh, we never qualify. We come forth, We beat the teams we should beat, and we get beaten pretty comprehensively by the teams that should beat us. <laughs>
2: nice to be engaged by it. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, going in there. Yeah, I mean, just to echo Phil's point there. I mean, when you actually go through the lineup, considering who we lost um, compared to the start of the campaign. I mean, a lot of these players are coming through and very highly rated at Premier League clubs or even someone like Nathan Collins, who was linked to moving to United a year ago. All right, he hasn't played as much for Stoke as I probably expected in the last 18 months, but still, he's a very highly rated defender. Uh, My only concern, slight concern, would have been down Ireland's right-hand side. I think you mentioned this a few times during the match, Phil. Leo Connor was very, very exposed, and I'm a bit concerned about where he's heading. This is a guy who played for United under 18s, along pretty much all their back four, and he was captain of Ireland under 19s. But played in midfield, and I just feel he's kind of just lost his way a bit. And after moving to Celtic, he had a fail loan, really apart at Thistle last year, and now he's gone to Tranmere. So I feel like he's one of those players who who could just kind of become a forgotten man. So I hope he kind of finds his way in the next couple of years because he was one of the really high prospects coming through at United, but he's kind of suffered from playing in too many positions at underage level. Um, and I think that's both of Italy's goals, I think, came down the right-hand side. Um, and I just felt that's where Ireland really really struggled in the game. Uh, but in general, I mean, it's all very positive coming through mm. in terms of the quality of player that we're now producing at that level. Whereas before, you would look at it, an Irish under-21 lineup and you'd be quite concerned about, you know, where the next players for the senior team are actually coming from. But now, um, you know, we've a lot to look forward to. Um, I mean, even Mike Lowe with him, he's starting up front, like I said, you know, earlier, I was surprised he actually wasn't in Ireland's um, Stephen Kenny's first um, senior squad. So it's a, it's a good position to be in. Uh, and again, it's just another reason to really get behind what Stephen Kenny is trying to do in the next few years because of that quality we have coming through that we didn't have in the last few years. Uh, And as I said earlier, hopefully we see more of Satana as well, um, because he's another one who could be really exciting for that function.
1: Yeah, like yourself, I was kind of surprised that Obafemi didn't come in, especially um, after the COVID outbreak and seeing Ronan Curtis get called up. And I was definitely thinking then, you know, Jesus, what's Obafemi have to do to to get a chance here? Um, So I suppose the only, you know, kind of explanation really was, Crawford said, you know, give me Obafemi at least. You know, it's a big yeah. game against Italy that we have a yeah. chance of, of winning. Um, in terms of other guys that I was kind of interested to get a look at, and um, I suppose with kind of Ronan at Wolves, and you see his kind of list of loan spells, I suppose he's probably at risk at this stage. Maybe, maybe not yet, but he's kind of at risk of kind of going into journey, journeyman territory. I thought he was excellent. Um, I thought he kind of filled that, um, if you want to call it the Jeff Hendrick role, of, of being everywhere and pressing really well. Um, seemed fairly comfortable on the ball. Um, he's at Grasshopper now this year at Switzerland, which I suppose, you know, their top side of the table in the Swiss League. Fairly competitive. Um, I'm not sure if he's going to be involved in Europe there with them, but I mean, he looks like, a, a, you know, a player who's going to be in the conversation for the senior team um, when he when he graduates from the under-21s. Um, another another then, and I don't know if he's going to be senior calibre. He obviously had a fantastic year at Watford and he's now at Lincoln and he hasn't had too much involvement so far. But I think he's just such a trait. every time he gets on the ball, um, is Zach el Buzetti And his pace is just outrageous. And he has that kind of directness that you might say Aaron Connolly has on the left-hand side, but I think Connolly is more kind of a footballer in that, you know, he's going to turn back, he's going to pick out his pass and try to link things together. I think El Buzetti is just a complete and utter danger in terms of his pace. Uh, I'm not sure if you agree with that, Phil, uh, based on, on that Italy game.
0: Yeah, and he's been great um, in, in a lot of the games in the campaign, or like you said, that, that kind of life wire. Yeah. Um, and a real sparkly thread I, I think you're probably right just with, with the profile of, of clubs he's at at this stage you'd probably like him to be a little further along not to say that he's he's counted out and he, he, he can come along at any stage but like he has this, he has the sort of skills that would be an asset to a team like Ireland um, is there a couple of people ahead of him probably but he definitely has the, the, the profile and the type of skills that an Irish team could always do with and so I think if he keeps plugging away with the twenty ones and, and, and see how get so see how far it gets him and see how, how the club uh, the club takes him. But um, he he was like he was the kind of standout attacking threat I thought for us, um, li- mainly because I thought Italy handled us pretty well when they got back into into their two banks of four. So I thought the the chances for people like go with him we were a little stunted, whereas um, had a much or we were much more effective on the break, which obviously suits Albizetti, So. Um, yeah, I thought he was really impressive. Um, Roland, I agree with you as well, by the way. Um, he's another fellow I'm just slightly worried about because like he is... If he's not... He, he's going on 22 now. He's not going 22 already. yeah. Yeah, like he, he's playing... He's playing... Um, They're um, Danish. Where is Swiss, sorry, where is he? Swiss sorry, um at grasshopper. Swiss, Swiss, yeah, Swiss second division football at 22. I'm a little worried about that. Um, you'd like to see him, if he's going to Europe, being even in the bottom half of a Dutch or a Belgian or a Swiss first division, but playing in second division football 22 in Switzerland is a little bit of a worry, and in t- just in terms of his progress. But like he's got all, this, all the talent in the world. He, he looks like the kind of player, again, we're crying out for at uh, senior level, but he'll probably need to progress up the ranks at Wolves a little bit if he can.
2: Yeah, I mean, when you look at some of those that you've just discussed, I mean, they're wild cards, aren't they? And that's really what Ireland yeah. has lacked in the last few years. I mean, oh, even, our, even our substitutes have always been pretty predictable like for like. Whereas, I mean, if if you're sending on El Buzetti with 15 minutes to go against a tiring team at the Aviva, you know, I mean, it's just, it's going to cause havoc, you know, same with Conor Ronan. Um, You know, in fairness to him, the Swiss League is a very uh, technical league so hopefully he gets a, a few games there but again him and Abuzedi, they're both 22 now I think so you'd hope that they will progress quickly in the next few years but um mm-hmm. there are players coming through from the under 21s that you can see would make a big difference to the Ireland national team in the next couple of years and we just haven't had that in the past and there are different types of options that we have at senior level as well you know, we've been quite slow in our build-up, and we've never really had any pace on the break, which we now do have, both with the players who we have in Ida and Conley. Um, all right, Maguire is not lightning, but he's still very fast on the break. And if you add you know, Elbuzetti, hopefully, to the future in that mix um, with Obafemi, there's a lot of pace that Ireland could work with up front. I think in the modern game, that's really what we need.
1: Looking ahead then to November internationals, um, with the caveat of, of COVID being that will they go ahead at all? Um, considering the, the COVID outbreaks that have arrived with this past week um, across Europe, the I suppose the discussion is gonna to turn to what sort of team, what sort of squad, um, can he picks and you know, if you go on to Wikipedia and go into the, the recent call-up section, it's it's longer than the the current squad. Uh, there's been so many ins and outs um, I suppose in terms of under 21 senior crossover Jason Knight will probably go back to under 21s um, I'd be really interested to see if Darrell O'Shea considering how well he played against Finland will he um, make that move permanent um, in place of someone like Derek Williams because I know O'Shea kind of is comfortable on on the left hand side as well which I felt Derek Williams was kind of playing that backup role Stevens that O'Shea might be able to fill in Um you know, you have likes of o- O'Dowda and Brown to come back in over after COVID. <clears throat> Adam Robinson, um, McGoldrick, you'd like to uh, hope will be fit. Um, Troy Parrott, Phil, like you said, will he be in the under ones? I'm not too sure. Um, you'd imagine if he's fit, especially if he's playing for Millwall, he will be there thereabouts uh, in Kenny Spans just because we need a goal. know <laughs> <I can ignore laughs> anyone at this point, uh, if they can score. Um, Do you see any kind of weird ones coming up for the the squad selection or do you think it'll be kind of back to the status quo of of pre-COVID?
0: Yeah, I I think you hit the nail on the head there with the under-21 senior crossover because the games overlap pretty much exactly. I think uh, there might be a day in between the second 21s game and the first senior game. So I think because it's so important uh, it's such a critical juncture for the 21s they might give them slightly more players than ordinarily you would have done and um, people like Daryl Shane might go back because he's he's the captain of that team things like that um, whereas in an ideal world you'd see a lot of those guys being given a chance now yes. in these two nations league games it's, it's what I'd love to see um, but also you, you have to be fair to to that group of 21s who have a chance to qualify for Ireland for a tournament to that age so that might make things a bit more straightforward if there's kind of more of the 21s ring-fenced for their age group. It might make things a bit more uh, along the lines of the status quo. Again, th- like <laughs> the big unknown is COVID and, and, and what sort of position we're going to be by then. Um, my main hope is that for at least one of the games, we have as close to a first choice starting 11 or that Kenny can pick from a near enough full deck to get an idea of what a starting, his, his first choice would be. So I'd love just to have as many people as possible available to remove some of the asterisks that lie against this window because once the Slovakia game was gone, everything was in chaos and it's kind of been a bit of a patchwork quilt. So I'd like to get a sense of who Kenny would pick in the next playoff, if that makes sense. So like he, who he's planning on building his team around.
2: Yeah, I think we'll still be on a bit of a calm down in the next <laughs> international break, to be honest, if, it's, if it happens. I mean, in normal circumstances, Daryl O'Shea will be a shoo-in, you know, for the senior team. But in this case, you know, he's got to go back to the he 21s, as Phil said, as captain, and the fact that they still have a chance. So, uh, I think we'll actually see something similar to what we saw last night uh, against Wales um, at the weekend. Um, but, hopefully, we do get a chance to see at least eight or nine of the first starting 11 that hopefully Stephen Kenny wants to go into the next campaign with. And, um, but, like I said, I won't be too judgmental of the next two games in November, even if they do go ahead, because it's just been so close to what has been a difficult period for the team. Mm. I mean, that Slovakia game will take a long time to get over, I think, for some of those players, just because of the opportunities that we had on the night. Um, it's one of those games that will take a very long time to get over. Um, and with the under twenty one still having a good chance to qualify, um, I, I, I don't think we'll be able to judge the team too much um, at the end of November, but
1: hopefully we get a goal at least <laughs> <laughs> I think the goal would be improvement at this stage um, yeah. a couple of wins you know to see off this Nations League and then I think we're into World Cup qualifying stage then I mean if you got a couple of wins and I suppose if you had um, the similar sort of performance uh, as this week statistically and defensively and just added a couple of goals on top of that I think it, I think it would have been looking back a Slovakia result aside and obviously you had those weird mitigating circumstances about that being postponed for so long and all that. I think you could probably argue that it's been a, a good start to the first couple of months for Kenny.
2: Yeah, the Wales game will probably be another pragmatic affair, I'd imagine. I mean, Gigs has really set Wales up to be quite, you know, counter-attacking. Uh, I think they got a late winner last night, so I can see that being another pretty drab affair. Uh, Finland, in fairness to them, they, they play quite an open game, you know, um, so I think that could be an interesting match for Kenny to target in terms of what he's trying to achieve. I think they're a team that would suit him far better. Um, so I'm quite looking forward to that one, but I think the Wales game will be a- another tough watch. Um, you know, depending on whether Bale bail is fit for them or not, they try and build around him when he's not available. They really do do, do just try and counter attack with um, Dan James on the counter. Um, but it, it, it's very pragmatic watching Wales at the moment. So I don't expect too much from that game.
0: We could also do with picking up some points towards World Cup seeding, and um, we're, that we're battling the Slovaks for um, the last place in Pot Two. Yeah, yeah, mm. and so I, I, I think if we if we get a win and a draw, we'll have with a fair win behind us. we will have a decent chance. Uh, we'll definitely need a win anyway. Um, now that's more likely to come against Bulgaria. It would be worth more if it was against Wales. Um, but I like while that's important and absolutely you want a better seeding. Uh, in the World Cup pool I do think like Anders said it's going to be hard to judge the team based on we're still going to be on a come down, and it's still very early in, in, into the process so repeating the performance levels is probably more important uh, but it, it and also if we don't get any wins I'm assuming we're going to go down like we're playing Bulgaria who are our rivals in the Nations League relegation scrap we're in <laughs> um, so I, I, I assume if we only get two draws or we get beaten, I'd, I'd say we're heading for a relegation down to League C or whatever it's called and so there's, you know, high stakes, high stakes in the Nations League.
2: Yeah, we're just about on pot two at the moment. <laughs> One point ahead of Slovakia. Oh, um, the draw, the draw, or the draw with Wales maybe put us up there because, yeah. yeah. Okay. So we actually snuck into to the end of part two there. Um, but Slovakia, Iceland, and Northern Ireland are, are right in our case, and Norway as well. Actually, who had a very good week.
1: Um, mm.
2: They're creeping up as well. Um, if we had a Haaland, that would be do us very nicely. <laughs> um, I don't know if you saw the third goal of his hat trick, but he's serious, serious player. <laughs> um, mm. But yeah, we we do well to stay in part two mm. just by looking at who's who's coming up behind us um even Scotland, Romania, Czech Republic. I mean, that is very tough to hang on to that last spot in part two, but hopefully we manage it because it makes a huge okay. difference to the seasons. Yeah,
1: I suppose at this point, all we could do is trust the and, us uh, and wait till then. And um, thanks very much for joining, Leds. No not worry. Thanks, uh, thanks, uh, cheers.